This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of the breakfast buffet. Uh, Now it's down to business over the next hour before Edward Hayden comes along with his unique mix of talk, banter and music. And this morning on the programme, he'll have Nathan Carter and Jerry Fish as well, of course, uh, Shirley Lanigan answering all your gardening queries. This morning on The Bottom Line, I'll be bringing you a very interesting conversation I had during the week with Claire Finn, Managing Director of Lighthouse Studios, the Kilkenny-based animation company, which makes movies for some of the biggest names in the entertainment business from its base in St. Kieran's College in Kilkenny. Have you been thinking during the pandemic that the current economic upheaval is the right time to do more for the environment and your business? We'll be talking to Hugh McCann from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation about how to build a circular economy and how to do it fast. And we'll be hearing about face masks and how one woman who is broadening her business from antiques to funky face masks is getting on. But first, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone for a look back at the week that's just passed and some of the stories that caught his eye by John Brophy, who's the manager of the Fairgreen Shopping Centre in Carlow and also past president of Carlow Chamber and lots of things in a GAA hat uh, that uh, he wears at all times and a passionate man about business and very interested in a wide range of topics. Good morning, John. Good morning, how are you? Very well, thanks. Um, it's an interesting time in business, to put it mildly. How are things going for you in the Fairgreen these days? Yeah, Fairgreen has been kind of funny that we never, we, we obviously we never closed down. We had our pharmacy and um, Tesco, of course. Our footfall dropped very dramatically during the lockdown, down to about 40% of where it would normally be. But we find now that year on year it's back to 85, 90% of where we were this time last year, and we're very pleased with that. Uh, that seems a strong performance compared to comparable shopping centres around the country. Yeah, and it's kind of hard for people to get their heads around that, given the scale of the upheaval um, that we've had over the last year, and, and retail and people, a public place like yourselves, having to put in place huge measures. Oh, yeah. just uh, And the biggest confusion tends to be that uh, the measures nearly seem to change week on week. And there has been, it's improving now, but there has been a lot of uncertainty about what's a recommendation, what's a law, what's what's a, a regulation, and what that actually means. So, um, yeah, look, we've had quite considerable costs, of course, with... with um, you know, extra extra cleaning, extra, um, of course, we have stickers all over the place, right? I've never seen anything like the stickers. I was up in one shopping centre in Dublin last week. It looked more like a hospital than a shopping <laughs> centre. Um, I won't say where. And, um, and of course, the, the famous hand sanitizer, yeah, which yeah. is... Which has now, now sort of come back to pre-COVID prices, but I, I think there was a bit of a, a bit of price hiking going on there for a while when it was rare, you know. Yeah, lesson in supply and demand. But um, one thing that we all know is that we're in a recession. Um, I mean, you know, normally if you have two quarters and economic growth is down by 1% or 0.5%, that's a recession. Yeah. The fall that we've had has been something in the order of like 25% or something. But surprising during the week that the tax returns for the government were much higher than expected. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, I was um, 
surprised when I read that. Um, it, now, they, there was some explanations given as to why that has happened, and it's to do with the, uh, the fact that we have a, a reasonably narrow tax base. In other words, there's quite a lot of people that um, don't normally come into the tax bracket, and uh, a lot of those, unfortunately, have been the people drawn into the, um, into the uh, unemployment at the moment, right? But so consequently, um, their tax fall wouldn't be as high as as might be. And then the it, it would appear that business is performing quite well, and that um, the corporation taxes, etc., have held up very, very well, right? I'm, I'm um, there's an overshoot. I was reading during the week that there's an overshoot in corporation tax receipts based on the budgets, and the overshoot is meant to be 1.9 billion, which, wow. will, go, which will go a long way to uh, alleviating some of the problems that we've had, and particularly if it continues like that. And there isn't any particular reason uh, to continue. Yeah, um, which is good. Which is very good news um, yeah. for for the economy. You you deal with a lot of business people around the place. The, the people operating outlets in the centre. You've been hugely involved in the chamber uh, over the years as well. A former president. How would you describe morale among the business community at the moment? Yeah, it's very mixed. It's very mixed. Of course, there are some businesses that we're not seeing at all, and I suppose I'm not as much in touch with those. Uh, then there's others that are. Uh, struggling manfully with the with the problems that they have but i'm seeing a lot of innovation i'm seeing a lot of adaptation and the new buzzword now is pivot everyone is pivoting their business pointing it towards something else if that's going to give them an improvement um i think uh, you know and i don't like some of these buzzwords but people have been very resilient in the business in the business world you know they've just just sort of said well this is the set of circumstances that we have and we have to get on with it and do our best with it and i'm very heartened by how much concern there seems to be among business people that they're not just responsible for their own business but they're responsible for their employees and their welfare and how they're getting on and i hear a lot of stories about um, you know people staying in touch with their 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 laid off workers etc etc and i think that's very good for for those people as well that they feel there's some sort of hope there it's 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 i've been very impressed with all of that yeah now you mentioned about the new styles of retail and the new styles of shopping also new styles of working um there's good and bad involved in that what what's your take on the new styles of working or anything that's caught your eye over the last week well, again, I'm looking at, at, at figures out of Ireland and the UK where, um, despite what people may have thought, there is an eagerness for people to get back to work in their old environments. Old environments. Now, they may not go in five days a week, may not do that commute up and down to Dublin, uh, you know, twice a day, but um, it seems that uh, they, do miss the, the, they do miss the company, they do miss the, the interaction, uh, they miss standing around the water cooler, if you like, spreading gossip and that sort of thing, which is all of important uh, social interactions that they have. However, um, it would seem that a hybrid is, is probably what we're looking for in a lot of cases. Now, there's an awful lot of people who just have to go to work every day and things haven't really changed for them except they're, they're being more careful. Um, and then there is those. I, I, I've had to do a, do a lot of meetings and that sort of thing on Zoom and all the various... Uh, versions of it and frankly I've kind of got used to it and I think other people have got used to it and frankly there's one or two people that I thought wouldn't be able to do it at all and they have 
they have pleasantly surprised me by being very adept at it. And I can see a future where instead of an organization meeting 12 times a year in, in a holla somewhere, that uh, six of them might be done by Zoom and six of them might be done in the holla. Yeah. So I think it will change the way we'll do, we work. Interesting. I saw a survey during the week that said 85% of Irish, Irish bosses have not discussed reducing office space in 2021. So it's, uh, it's, it seems to be the reality that there's less people in offices, but the offices are still open for business <laughs> and they're not planning on shutting them in 2021. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, um, Look, I know um, I was talking to some city centre shopping centre managers and in Dublin and um, really and truly there is no office population around at all. Mm. Right, So things have changed drastically. Tough on coffee place. shops and all that oh, kind of stuff. Hard, yeah, very hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, while, while businesses might be looking ahead to uh, reducing office space in 2021, um, people are looking ahead to Christmas and I'm sure you've got your Christmas decorations stored away somewhere to break out. How are Christmas preparations uh, uh, fairing and what kind of Christmas do you think it'll be this year? And apologies to Christmas haters everywhere, John Walsh. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I have to say, um, and I don't often say this. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I don't see us being able, for instance, to have the the traditional things in a shopping centre, Santa's arrival and then even sort of Santa's grotto and that sort of thing. We'd have to find something imaginative to to try and replace that. Uh, We would worry that if everyone suddenly decides that they want to shop at the same time, we're going to have very packed spaces and we need to be careful about how we manage that. Um, There are some solutions, I think, that are beginning to be offered now where um, stores may open for longer. Uh, They may try and encourage people to shop at certain times. Um, You know, give give people some advantage if they decide that they'll shop at 10 o'clock in the evening instead of 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, You know, there may be certain discounts, etc., etc. So it's going to be a question of uh, we hope everyone comes out uh, we're in two minds as to whether we want them to stay for hours and hours and hours, which we normally would. We'd be delighted to see that. It'll be very interesting to see what what way it goes, and I think it'll be different in, in, in different areas of business as, as to how that's going to work. However, we'll have the fantastic Christmas decorations, which are made for us every year by the Delta Centre, and we'll have the place as pretty as a pin if we can. Yeah, and of course, Halloween before that as well, which is, is an equally big um, occasion uh, in in local retail and all that sort of areas. A Christmas and Halloween with the difference this year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to my colleagues. We have a we have a Zoom meeting every Friday of, of a lot of the shopping centre managers, and we were talking about what we were going to do with Halloween, and it's creeping up on us very quickly. And again, it probably looks like a little bit of decoration and maybe an opportunity to to give our customers something, whether it's a little colouring pack or, you know, something something to entertain the children, that sort of thing we think is, is where it'll go. Okay, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, John. Thank you very much. That was uh, John Brophy joining us. He's the manager of the Fairgreen Shopping Centre in Carlow and also a man uh, with a great insight into local business in this area. Moving on, around 1999, two uh, gentlemen, Tom Moore and Brian, uh, Tom Moore and Paul Young, established an animation studio in Kilkenny called Cartoon Saloon with the vision of making world-class animation in Kilkenny. And many people at the time, truth be 
told, thought they were mad. But how those doubters have been proven wrong with the studio going on to scoop all sorts of awards, including a rake of Oscar nominations. And they're a proud export from Kilkenny, along with the growth of Cartoon Saloon. Animation in Ireland has grown to be huge and significant part of the cultural industries in this country. Now, just three years ago, Lighthouse Studios was established in Kilkenny and now employs around 170 people and that's growing all the time. During the last week, I had the great pleasure of visiting the studios and I sat down with Managing Director Claire Finn for a chat about her business and I asked her to tell me more about the studio, how it ended up in Kilkenny and the operation they've got in St Cairns. Hi John, well thanks very much for having me first of all and uh, yeah I'd be delighted to to give you a little insight into Lighthouse Studios. Um, Lighthouse is owned by um, two parent companies and that is Mercury Filmworks in Canada and Cartoon Saloon here in Kilkenny and the reason Lighthouse is in Kilkenny is because um, Mercury wanted to set up um, a company somewhere in Europe and they bumped into the lovely Paul Young and Jerry Sheeran from Cartoon Saloon who convinced him yeah Kilkenny's the place to be and so with the help of the IDA who were really instrumental in also um, you know helping everybody in terms of the business setup etc we ended up in here in Kilkenny we're about three and a half years old and we started off on one show that was called Bug Diaries that was for Amazon that went live um, last year I believe in April and um, we now have five shows running and we started off at about 50 I think employees and now we're almost at 200 so it's growing a lot. Absolutely and just Wind back a bit and tell us, what was it about Kilkenny that you think sold it to these people from Canada? Uh, well, Clint, who is the CEO from Canada, um, they're actually based in Ottawa, which is also a bit of, of an outlier in terms of, um, a, uh, you know, a, a place to have a, a, an animation studio. And so he really liked that idea. He loved the work, obviously, of Cartoon Saloon, and he just really liked Paul and Jerry. The IDA also were huge. He also he always says that they laid out the green carpet for him because he they were so helpful in 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 um, you know showing him you know. Ireland in particular, but Dublin or versus Kilkenny versus Galway versus Cork. Um, but it really, I think, was Kilkenny itself being um, such an ideal location close to Dublin. Um, it had a huge support network around it in, in terms of also Cartoon Saloon and that sort of relationship to be able to um, work together in terms of bringing in crew to Kilkenny, setting up that whole ecosystem around that. Um, and I suppose just Kilkenny... Um, it was just ripe for, I suppose, some more development along the, the creative lines, and it has such a, uh, you know, good uh, international reputation for, you know, creative endeavours around it. You know, tell us a bit about your home here in St. Kieran's, which will be known to many people driving by as looking a bit like Hogwarts, and known, of course, primarily perhaps by many people as a, a nursery for Kilkenny hurling talent. Yeah, actually, the hurling is quite amusing for a lot of the crew. We just had even our a new exec producer start yesterday, and she was like, what are those guys doing with the sticks? So, um, yeah, Kieran's, um, it's a brilliant location for, for the crew. It's, it's, it's a huge amount of space, which obviously is very helpful in these uh, COVID times. And it just is quite quirky, and I think it's sort of really become very quickly uh, enmeshed in the sort of story of Lighthouse Studios. The crews love it because... It is unusual. Um, we're, it's set in a beautiful location. It has a lot of like uh, you know smaller rooms and bigger rooms, so we can kind of have quite um, you know a lot of um, f- flexibility. Um, and Reverend Dermot, who runs it, is is 
fantastic as a, as a landlord because he's uh, very helpful in terms of you know providing sort of solutions for us in an older building. Um, so it's working extremely well at the moment. It's a little cold in winter. There's a gap in my windows. It's a breeze coming in. <laughs> but other than that, it's actually uh, really brilliant. Yeah, and, and it presumably it allows you... Um great facility to flex uh, your team here because you, you mentioned you have about 170 or to 200 people but you're you have to grow and adapt all the time according with the pipeline of work are you busy oh yes we're very busy <laughs> it's extremely busy at the moment and um which is brilliant um and unlike live action we were able to work through the whole of the covid uh, pandemic um you know communication is a little slower because of it because of people working from home but we um and it's less productive from that point of view but um we've started to bring crews back in actually because we're very covid set up due to the amount of space that we have and yeah that flexibility to we've added on rooms as we've gone along um has been extremely helpful and dermot as i said has been very helpful in sort of um, allowing us to do that so we haven't had to commit before we were um, able to do so from a work point of view um yeah and it's but it's just busy out there animation wise and from here on the college road in kilkenny you not only have people working on on the nuts and bolts of putting together the the visuals that we see but you're you're managing talent around the world you're dealing with international studios um and and a wide range of roles give us an idea of the type of team members that you've got here well, at the moment, we have quite a range. We have, as I said, a new exec producer who's just come in. She will sort of help me look at the overall picture of the work that we're going to do, the slate, basically. So uh, um, we started off being a company that was um, being commissioned work only. So if, if you know a little bit about the pipeline of animation, um, we would do layout to locked picture. And so the creative part of it, like the... Um, script writing and the initial visual development that would be done somewhere else like Disney or Netflix or um, Warner's um, and so that is a, the bulk of, of some of our shows at the moment um, including the Cuphead show for Netflix and, and Little Ellen which we've just started for Warner Brothers um, but also what we started now is um, into uh, looking at developing some of our own work and um, we have roles everything from you know, directors to assistant directors to line producers to animation directors, and you know, all the various animation roles, uh, supervisors, leads, etc. We've got character designers, location designers, art directors, um, you know, effects is very big in animation, um, props, people who design and draw props. Um, what else? Rigging, the builds and rigging. We work on a, a software called Toon Boom Harmony and that is, um, we draw digitally basically. So that particular software requires technical skills from all the artists, whether no matter what role the artist is in, you know. And a very diverse team I can see from just walking around. And you mentioned a huge number of nationalities who've come here to Kilkenny to work. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I really love about it is that we have, you know, about 25, 26 nationalities. We're always trying to expand that into new territories. Um, and I am a firm believer in diversity across sort of the board from like, you know, not just colour, but gender and, and class system, etc. And um, that is one great thing is that we take in talent and it doesn't matter where it's coming from. Um, it is a big deal to bring talent to, you know, Kilkenny just in terms of that we 
have to put a lot of resource behind it, the whole ecosystem. A lot of these people haven't lived away before. So that is something that we really provide um, a lot of um, yeah, infrastructure around, I suppose, everything from, you know, we have a music room upstairs. We have some on-site accommodation. We help everybody relocate. We have um, a vegetable garden. Um, you know, the crew run lots of things, you know, themselves, you know, and we also have like a lot of um, skills and development, you know, and things like life drawing and anything you could kind of think of, we, we sort of um, do in order to, you know, make the crew feel at home and make, make them feel they have a community. And that's one thing that is great about Kenny because it's small enough, the crew can walk to work. There's a lot of incredible, you know, stuff to, to, to visit around the whole local community anytime we've had um, we've had some open days or uh, Christmas parties anything like that the whole community from Kilkenny and local vendors are always really super helpful and willing to get involved and and that is another great thing I think about just sort of living here and the spirit around it you know anything particularly challenging about trying to do business around the world in your industry from Kilkenny or is it is the technology up to spec Sorry, uh, the technology, not from that point of view, um, because it's just everybody kind of has the tech. Working from home with the technology, that's that's definitely <laughs> been interesting and challenging, especially for our IT uh, department. Um, I suppose the biggest challenge is just really bringing talent to Kilkenny. There isn't enough animation talent in Ireland because there's so much animation going on. The animation industry is really, really strong here. Um, and Animation Ireland is a great... Um, uh, body that um, uh, you know supports all that it's about 35 members I think at the moment so you know just getting the talent here is is the, the hardest thing um, You mentioned COVID earlier on how's that impacting on the uh, on the animation industry but more specifically on Lighthouse does it present opportunities or, or huge challenges or a bit of both Well seeing as live action now is sort of like curtailed for the next while like there's been random you know suggestions and sort of agreements to do things even like CSI (laughs) in an animated episode and animation just takes way longer um, because of the process so there are definitely way more uh, animation uh, you know films and series being suggested developed and made because of all the streamers and the you know potential global audience so that's brilliant um, but there's a backlog definitely for, you know, especially high level, high end um, animation and companies that are, are um, able to make that. So uh, I think more, even more probably, there's more, more opportunity now, certainly from colleges to be able to retrain and recruit more, more you know, young folks coming into the industry. Um, also part of Section 481, we take on various participants that uh, you know are trained or upskilled or cross-skilled along the shows and that is something we are um, doing um, you know alongside Cartoon Saloon as well um, take, I've taken quite seriously we have a, a skills and training um, uh, executive here who's, who's running that and looking at all the kind of levels of training that the crew need to, to, to be able to you know develop or, or get into the industry etc so you mentioned live action there you came from a live action background yourself it must have been quite a, a learning curve uh, to suddenly go from lights camera action to um animation yep <laughs> it was quite a challenge uh 
I hadn't realised actually anything about the animation process. I'd done some sort of CG stuff before, but 2D animation is a very different um, art and it's been very interesting and definitely challenging to sort of get my head around it. I do think it's crucial to understand how the process works and what the art is about in order to be able to manage it. So, yeah, it's been very interesting. <laughs> Adaptability is the key. You mentioned about Animation Ireland, and, and I was quite surprised reading up before I met you uh, today to see that the extent and the value of the animation industry in Ireland, we're talking literally hundreds of millions. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's a really big, um, you know, um, financial gain to the country. There's no doubt about it. It's not a kids industry, you know, or, you know, I suppose maybe people would have thought about it before, especially when, when we use certain language around it, like cartoons, etc. But animation in particular also has broadened out, you know, to not be just for kids, but it's now for families, for adults. Uh, you know, before a lot of, there wasn't no animation made for, say, even females of, you know, over a certain age. That's changing also, you know, it's, it's, to, it's not like the audiences aren't there, it's to find the audiences by serving them the stories that they want to see. And that has just, you know, expanded the voices and the um, potential for telling those different types of stories. And I think that is where, you know, some of the streamers have come in really, um, strong into the market to kind of say, well, we're prepared to take that risk and to to, to tell other other stories, um, and that has hugely, you know, affected the I think the the industry here in Ireland um, and Animation Ireland and the IDA and the government with the you know Section four eight one tax credit. It has all helped to do that. But yeah, it's a it's not a small it's not small bucks. It's big bucks. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. At the heart of it all. Casey Lauren 96 FM, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. Now, a really interesting chat with Claire Finn, MD of Lighthouse Studios there before the break. And what a business uh, we've got in Kilkenny there with that animation studio producing work uh, for the biggest names in entertainment around the world. Now, uh, sometime in June, I was leafing through the Financial Times, as you do, having finished my Saturday morning uh, business programme. And I saw a full page ad, which uh, was something by some of the biggest, uh, some of the chief executives of some of the biggest companies in the world, like Condé Nast, Pepsi Cola, Renault, L'Oreal, uh, Nestle, Unilever, etc., and they said basically, as we rise to the challenges caused by the coronavirus pandemic, the question is no longer sh- should we build back better, but how. And they talked about how the circular economy offers an opportunity to do that. And they called for government, business uh, um, and all sorts of organisations to step up and meet this challenge. I thought it would be a good idea to find out more. Uh, So we got in touch with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who are the organisation behind this uh, global initiative. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Hugh McCann, who's a global partners lead uh, for Europe with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Good morning, Hugh. Hi, good morning, John. How are you? Very well, and you're an Irish man, and you're based in the UK for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Tell us about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. That's right. So um, I think at first it's, it's important to, um, to talk about who Ellen is. 
And uh, I tell you, I've been, I've been working with the Alan Carter Foundation for, for nearly five years now in, in COWS, uh, spelled uh, C-O-W-E-S, not C-O-W-S. And, um, and this is where Ellen started her sailing. And, and, and so Ellen is a, is a woman who, who grew up in Derbyshire. Uh, and Derbyshire is about as far away as you can get uh, from the sea in the UK. So it is quite surprising uh, to hear that Ellen in 2005 set the world record for solo circumnavigation of the globe um, uh, sailing. Yeah, and, uh, and just a couple of weeks ago, I saw her on Reeling in the Years on RTE. You'll be familiar with that programme, uh, no doubt. 25 years ago, and she was very young. She was, yeah. yeah. Some, uh, some uh, determination uh, there uh, from, from a very young age. Yeah, and uh, she sailed around the world, but she's had to fill her time. How do you follow sailing around the world on your own? I beg your pardon? How do you follow sailing around the world on your own? That's the question she faced, no doubt. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, exactly. She, she, and this is where the idea of, of, of the foundation and, and the circular economy uh, came about. So when, when you're sailing around the world um, and you're racing against the clock, your boat has to be as, um, as fast as possible and therefore as light as possible. It's not just the boat itself. But it's what you bring on board with you. It is the you have to bring the minimum amount of of, uh, of food, the minimum amount of water, the minimum amount of of tools and, and repair equipment in case you get hit by a, a forty foot wave in the South Art- 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 Antarctic Sea. Um, you have to bring the minimum amount of diesel for your emergency generator. Um, but you're also going through a fierce amount of calories to keep yourself awake, to keep yourself fed, to keep yourself alive. And she realised that. Uh, the planet isn't much different. We are going through our resources, in this case, oil, soil, uh, various precious metals at a fierce rate. And, and just like um, just like Ellen when she was sailing, she couldn't just stop off you know, in the local centre for a breakfast roll uh, when she got a bit too hungry. Um, our planet, we can't just pop over to Mars to get a bit more topsoil for the breadbasket of America or uh, the cotton fields of, of Pakistan. And, and she realized that what we're operating in is, is a take-make-waste economy, a linear economy, so to speak. We're taking these materials out of the ground, we're making them into stuff, um, but we're massively wasting um, the stuff that we make through underutilization. Uh, the average European car is part 92% of the time. And then a huge amount of it ends up in landfill. Um, only 14%, for example, of plastic packaging ends up recycled uh, globally. So we, we can't keep operating in this way. We, she decided, how can we get all these you know, products, great products and, and materials that we're, we're making and keep it in a loop, keep it in the circle, keep it going around and around. Um, so after taking a, a bit of a break from, from setting the world record, she traveled around the world again, at this time not by boat. Um, and it was to speak with experts at all walks of life to test this idea of what she um, was thinking uh, in terms of a circular economy. We're talking about engineers, uh, materials experts, professors, politicians, uh, CEOs, um, to, to see if this idea could come to life. And uh, September 3rd, so literally 10 years ago this week, um, the foundation was launched with very credible research showing that there was a huge opportunity for both society and business um, to embrace uh, the circular economy. Hugh, um, you mentioned this figure there that 
blew me away a bit. Uh, the average car is parked 92% of the time. Yeah, that's it. And, and think of the amount of energy, uh, the amount of uh, water, the amount of chemicals, the amount of materials that go into creating this product that's sitting unused for the vast majority of its lifetime. Mm. So a sailor walks into a bar. I've heard that joke before, but a sailor walks into the chief executive of Coca-Cola or the chief executive of Unilever with that kind of a message. How has it been received? You know, the um, that's, that's a very good question. On, on the plastics uh, side, because that's the, the, the team that's dominating in, in, in the FMCG fa- uh, uh, industry at, you know, at the moment, um, I took Unilever, and this was, I think it was 2017, um, who were the first organization to commit to creating packaging by 2025 that was 100% reusable, recyclable, or compostable. And then we got several more, including uh, Danone, um, a a couple of years later. Uh, And now um, we have over 800 organizations. That's about about 20% of the plastics value chain have committed to um, packaging that's 100% reusable, compostable, um, or uh, recyclable uh, by 2025. And that's just the that's just the starting point. There's a lot more ambitious um, co- companies uh, like Unilever who have got quite a bit more uh, to that. And it's a, it involves a whole kind of change in mindset, really. Uh, and um, an important distinction that I uh, came across when researching about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and your work was um, do more good and less bad. Society is kind of uh, honed in a lot of the time on the less bad bit, but uh, the more good is it's a subtle distinction, but it makes a big difference. Yeah, it really is, and that's what's what's that's what's inspiring about the uh, about the circular economy. As you say, a lot of the environmental sustainability movement has been about the less bad, but the less bad tends to focus on the symptoms, not the cause. You know, there's no amount of beach cleanups that's going to um, do enough, have enough impact when the um, the current plastic system means that we're going to have more plastic in the sea than fish by 2050. Um, Cripes, that's another one to blow us away. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's you, you really have to change the mindset. You know, incremental thinking is just isn't, isn't going to work anymore. Uh, the size of the global challenges uh, that we have, you know, plastics, climate change, and so on. We've got to we've got to hit the problem face on uh, at the scale and speed that's required to avoid. Uh, the kind of circumstances that we we all uh, have nightmares about. Yeah, and and um, recycling. I heard you describe it when we chatted during the week as the loop of last resort. So basically, that should be the end of the process, and all the other stuff gets stuck into it earlier on. That, that's it. We we have um, uh, quite a jargon uh, full um, uh, explanation of the circular economy called the butterfly diagram, but. To keep it simple, we have kind of the, the biological side of, 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 our, of our world, which is plants um, and, and forestry and all that, all uh, you know, agriculture. And then we have the technical side, which is everything that we make. And on the biological side, it's about uh, regenerating natural systems. So that's about uh, planting uh, agriculture and forestry that uh, leaves the soil in at least as good a condition as it was, if not better. And then you have the technical cycle, and that's about uh, designing uh, products um, and systems that are easy to, um, that last longer, that are used more, that are easier to repair. 
and uh, and then when it comes to recycling that it's easy to recycle because what you have is you've got products of lots of different materials and it has to be cost effective and easy to separate them and and uh, make them with materials that that can be recycled in the existing system and i can't emphasize the design uh, piece enough because i'm not sure if you knew john but the design phase is where 80 percent of a product's uh, environmental impact is determined yeah, that's that's uh, quite. And how are designers responding? Because uh, presumably putting a change in at the design phase is, is relatively straightforward rather than to design a car and then to have to try and re-engineer it when it's already been manufactured. That's it. And it's, it's, it's really what, it, what gets a lot of excitement uh, in our network. We, um, in terms of our social media, the posts that get the most attraction are uh, the design-focused uh, stories that we share. Mm. Um, and, and that comes to, you know, the, the circular economy is based on, on three principles. Um, and one of them is about designing out waste and pollution. Um, and, and there's some, some great examples. I'm actually, um, I have, uh, I'm a big fan of sparkling water, but I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't keep going into the shop and, and, and buying bottles of, of sparkling water. So I bought myself a, a soda stream machine um, with bottles I can use over and over again. That, uh, that, that and the machine gives you uh, sparkling water, and, and this you might say, oh, this is you know something that's on the fringe, but Pepsi actually bought SodaStream in 2018 for 3.2 billion dollars. Hmm. So it, it'll become increasingly uh, mainstreamed. We're talking about plastic recycling and so on predominantly so far. But um, big changes in the fashion industry as well. Uh, and like Depop is one instance of it. But um, dress rental, clothes rental and so on. This is a trend of the future. And, and you guys want to see it sooner rather than later. Uh, absolutely. The, um, and there's also resale. So the, the clothing resale market is growing 21 times faster than traditional fashion. And uh, this week, uh, a company that's been you know, very associated with fast fashion and and, um, and perceived at least as being kind of a, 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 and it is part of the problem, is also becoming part of the solution. They Their brand costs, uh, so H&M Group has a number of different brands, uh, including this brand costs, launched a, um, a resale um, platform this week. So who would have thought that instead of going to a shop, a big brand to buy their clothes, you can go onto their platform uh, for people to sell their cost clothing and for you to be able to buy it. Because, of course, um, when you think of your, your 92% of the time a car spends uh, parked, presumably I've got ties that I'd say uh, spend 99.99999% of the time hanging in a wardrobe. Yeah. So I think what's what, what, uh, some very good um, marketing done by uh, and, and, and communications done by H&M um, they started a, uh, a rental uh, platform as well in Stockholm, and they talk about owning the experience, renting the dress. So, what, what, John, you want to look sharp when, when you wear your tie, but you don't necessarily want to own the tie. So, these rental models allow you to have access to the experience over the ownership of the product. Yeah, and, and so you're working uh, with businesses all over Europe uh, getting this message across and change is coming uh, and the message from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is you want people to get on board and accelerate the change uh, and not waste the upheaval that's happened as a result of COVID-19. 
That's right, but you have to make it easy. So it's, it's a whole system change. You have uh, an individual who's uh, bought some uh, bottled water, they're traveling uh, to Dublin. Um, you need to make it easy for them to, uh, to not make the choice of throwing it uh, you know, in, in the park, throwing it in the bin. Um, ideally, they don't even recycle it. Ideally, they reuse that bottle over and over again. So that's why at the foundation we work with, with governments, we work with cities, we work with big businesses, uh, we work with academics, um, we work with, um, uh, with, uh, with, with, with startups, um, and we want to make this attractive and inspiring for people to, to get on board with. Um, and you're a, a, an Irishman uh, working for this foundation. Tell us about your job. Absolutely. So I, my role uh, working with our, our strategic partners is um, to, to break it down, is to, to make sure that they are staying true um, to their, their, their leadership ambitions uh, and, and challenging them. That's actually, we're speaking with the CEO of Solvay uh, uh, yesterday. It's a 10 billion euro uh, chemicals firm from Belgium. And she said, the one thing I like about you guys, not the one thing, but one thing specifically is that you challenge me. You challenge me to do better. Um, and the same came back to us. Uh, you were speaking with the CEO of Unilever um, last week as well. And he said, you know, I need to be challenged. And that's what's great. That's what allows me uh, to, to make a difference. I could say, well, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is saying this is what we need to do. And it adds credibility to their own ambitions. Um, so that's what we do. We, 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 we tell them about, we reinforce the, the why they need to be doing what they're doing. Um, we reinforce the what they need to do. And then um, we also help them uh, with their with inspiring their employees. Uh, so we're actually running our uh, annual summit next year, uh, next week, um, and we're hoping to reach uh, tens of thousands uh, of employees live and millions of people over the next year with the content we're creating, which shows the solutions um, of uh, of the circular economy um, and articulates the tension that big businesses are facing between the parts of the business that are linear. Um, and the fast-growing parts that are uh, that are circular, and also the tension between managing uh, the transition to a circular economy uh, during a difficult economic context in the short term, and the need uh, uh, for a long term. If you think about, um, you know, the there's countless examples in history of of companies who who didn't ask themselves, "Is doing business as usual going to keep me in business?" Absolutely. Well, Hugh, that's a very um, uh, apt note to leave our conversation with. Uh, thank you very much. The message is do more good, less bad. Do it quicker. Uh, don't waste the upheaval caused by the uh, coronavirus crisis and pandemic around the world. Hugh, pleasure talking to you. That was Hugh McCann, who's uh, Global Partners Lead with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, talking to us about the circular economy. The heart of it all. KCLR. KCLR, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Don't forget Edward Hayden uh, coming up at 10 o'clock and some very special guests on the show. He'll be talking to Jerry Fish, who should be on the stage of the uh, Electric Picnic this weekend, sadly put away for a year. Hopefully it'll be back next year. And also Nathan Carter will be coming up. Now we're going to move on. Uh, Kathleen Phelan is a Kilkenny woman in her 70s who will be known to some for her antique store Phelan and Sons on Bally Book 
Street in Kilkenny. Now, after lockdown left her with little business in the store and added time in her hands, Kathleen decided to get creative with her sewing machines and make custom face coverings. Three months on, her masks have become a huge hit uh, and have been featured in weddings even, so they must be really stylish. Our Casey Law reporter Shauna McHugh visited Kathleen in the workshop where she produces the unique accessories. I'm Kathleen Phelan and I make masks, face coverings and uh, I absolutely love doing it. Kathleen has been making the face coverings for over three months now and initially learned how to do it using online tutorials on YouTube. I practiced first, I had no intention of selling them. I made a template and I practiced on all my family, I tried it out and it actually took me weeks weeks of work to get to where I am now and it, it looks so simple but it took me so long and of course with great help from YouTube now but even at that it before I if I can say perfected it it took me a long time but I absolutely loved every minute of it I got great tips now I have to say I wouldn't have achieved all that except for YouTube now I had my own own little touches and own little, little ideas but um I get such great satisfaction with the prototype that practice with my family. But in order to get the get it exactly as I wanted it, I actually had to use the fabric that I would be using eventually in them. And I used yards upon yards upon yards of fabric. So I would have lost there. But now I think I'm now I'm I'm working for the minimum wage, but I absolutely love it. So and I am making money, you know, at that. And I love, I love what I'm doing and I only charge five euros and I want to keep it at that. I want to make them affordable for everybody. And um, for every so many I do, I do a few for charity, for Amber and direct provision. However, it's not just shoppers who are looking to avail of Kathleen's face masks. She's also had some unusual customers from brides to children. I'd be promoting a, a, a mask for every outfit. <laughs> I made a couple of bridal masks with lace. I did sell them, but I, I, I said maybe I'd get back to, I would do a couple of them maybe again, just for variety. Sometimes I have, I'd have to make small ones for maybe children three to four, but the parents really only want them to, they, they play with them at home. They wouldn't be wearing them outside, but they, because they see the adults, they like to have them too. And uh, yeah, I make all ages. They usually, they love Toy Story and uh, children's cartoons and that sort of thing. And uh, that's what they love. By Toy Story and um, superheroes, Marvel. There's a good demand for that now. Kathleen says making the face masks has become a haven for her as she's felt especially lonely since Covid began. I don't have an awful lot to do. Uh, we're semi-retired now, but um, I love the song. I love the upholstery side. I love this. There's an awful lot of work to be done. You wouldn't think so by looking at them now, but there's an awful mm. lot of work to be done. But I love, I absolutely love every minute of it. I have my iPad, I saw and I go on Facebook and I have the radio and it's a really little haven up here really. And I meet lovely people. And if people start to talk to me, I could keep them at the door talking all day. <laughs> I love meeting people, different people. I miss McDonough Junction because I used to go down there with, there could be five of us friends with my husband Donnie 
we go down there every Saturday and we'd have lunch and we'd sit there for ages, watch the world go by. I miss all that. I go to Starbucks now with my grandchildren for an hour on a Friday. But um, I wouldn't feel comfortable meeting anybody else. This week on, I probably won't be able to bring them to Starbucks anymore until things ease up a bit. But uh, when they go back to school, I, I don't think I'll be going down to the junction with them. Not for a while anyway, until things ease up again. Kathleen prides herself on supporting Kenny businesses. She's all about buying her supplies for the face coverings locally. I buy all my fabric in Guyanese, just down the road. I buy all, like this stuff, I buy all the cotton in, um, in Guyanese, all the rest of the cotton. And um, I absolutely, I love fabric anyway, I love the feel of it. I actually now, I get some of my stuff as well up in Treads of Green. They're very good as well. Very important. Go local for fabric. If you're interested in buying one of Kathleen's face coverings, here's how you can get in touch. Phone me at 087 67 15867. If they know me, they can, they can call to the house or they can get in touch on Facebook. Kathleen Phelan there um, finishing off her description of her lovely uh, new business that she launched over COVID and and what a lovely uh, piece there from Shauna McHugh. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie